Saran Tovim, after our long hiatus, I'm finally back to the Torah world. Um, I just tested negative, so nobody fear the fact that I have a little bit of a hoarse voice. That is not COVID, so nothing to be concerned with. Uh, anyways, on where our chapter one of, of Shofetim, we basically set up the opening to the book by describing what happened immediately after Yoshua's death. After Yoshua's death, after Yoshua had finished conquering the main armies of the Canaanites and the main territories, the respective tribes were expected to go and conquer the rest on their own. They mostly did not succeed in doing that. That's what the first chapter of Shofetim shows. Yehuda and Shimon, they do succeed in doing it. And with Yehuda's success, we saw once again, we revisited the story of Kalev and Otniel and conquering Kiryat Sefer and, and, and the giving of Achsa, the daughter of Kalev to Otniel. We also saw that Ephraim, not, not Ephraim, Bet Yosef also quasi-succeeded in conquering their land. Um, we met these people, the, the people, the descendants of Yitro, who joined Yehuda. They left um, Ira Timarim and they joined Yehuda. And there was discussion as to what was Ira Timarim. Some say it was Yericho, some say it was another place. But the point is that Yitro, uh, his descendants have a, a, a solid place amongst the Jewish people and they are treated well. Uh, if you remember from the end of Parashat Beshalach to the beginning of Parashat Yitro, there is a contrast between the response of the Goyim that the Amaleki people did, like the Amalek people, when they saw the Jewish people come out of Egypt, they attacked. But when Yitro comes and he sees the Jewish people coming out of Egypt, he blesses God. We saw the contrast in their behavior towards the Jews and the Amalek, Amalek's behavior towards the Jewish people ended up making them destined for destruction. While now we see that the destiny of Yitro's descendants was to live peace amongst the Jewish people uh, with all of the, the benefits of being amongst the blessed people. Were they considered converts? Or was that just Yitro himself? I don't know. Um, did they... I think they were considered... I, I'm not sure. I don't think they were converts. I think they were a distinct family that were known as the Yitro descendants. They didn't have to keep the Torah just I don't seven think... It doesn't, I'm not sure if they kept... They probably, they probably, they obviously kept the seven laws because that was like fundamental. That was a requirement for living in the land. Were they keeping the mitzvot? For some reason, throughout Tanakh, the descendants of Yitro are always described as a distinct entity. If they got swallowed up by the Jewish people or just became people of Yehuda, then we wouldn't keep seeing them. We see it again in one of the stories that's going to come up with. Yael, the wife of a man named uh, uh, something Hakeni. Keni is from the descendants of Yitro, so the Keni. So we see that again there. But, that, but that. And, and it specifies that she, he, was a, he was a Kenite and he wasn't a Jewish person. But she married out of her religion. I don't know, right. So that's why I'm. So maybe they Yitro were. Had, there was an the assumption were. that Yitro converted. Yeah, but I to be honest, I just don't know the answer. I'm just telling you what I saw from the story of Yael and Sisera. 
Yael's husband is described as the Kenite or the Keni. And if Yitro's family just got swallowed up. Now it could be that they just kept Yadut and they were fully Jews, but they were just like their own tribe in a, in a way. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Okay? But now besides for... Um, besides for... Uh, oh, we also came across Binyamin not... not um, Getting rid Going of the Yevusi, the Yevusi in Yerushalayim, both in Yoshua, it said they were there, Adayomazeh, and then here in Shofetim, it says Adayomazeh, they were there. Okay? And then uh, the tribes of Yosef do succeed a little bit, but then the respective tribes don't. Like they, they combine together at one point, and, and, um, and they conquered Bit El. And then there was this whole story with a man who told them how to get into Luz. Uh, there, there's a city called Bet El, which is also called Luz. Okay? That was a city that the people, the sons of Yosef, went up and conquered together. Okay? And then it says when they were approached, there was a man. And they asked the man, how do we get into the city? And he said, oh, you go through this tree. Right? I don't think we did this. No, we did. It, it doesn't say go through the tree. That's what the Midrash says. But I'll just read the Psukim again. Um, the man shows them the entrance of the city, and they struck the city by the edge of a sword, and then they sent away the man and his family. And I, and I even said back then that it kind of reminds me of that story of when Yosef went up to find his brothers, that there was a man there who pointed him out and told him to go to Dotan, because the brothers said, we're going to, we're going to Dotan. Okay? Whatever it is. Um, and, but there's also a lot of... Uh, that was what the children of Yosef conquered successfully. And then once that was the only success they had, the rest of the descriptions of the children of Yosef is that they did not drive away the inhabitants. Zebulun, Asher, Naftali, Dan, none of them really succeed in driving away the inhabitants. And, and they dwelt, and by some of them it even says, and they dwelt amongst the Goim, meaning the Goim were the vast majority. But they... Done, like went out of his way to conquer something else in the middle of nowhere. That was put into its own place. So remember, that was at the end of Yoshua. Yes. When Don complained, and they said to Yoshua, "We don't have enough." Well, they said, "We don't have enough enough room," and then Don went, and they ended up conquering a place far in the north. Yeah. Um. So, so yes, correct. It could be that the, they, they went for low-hanging fruit, meaning they went for a place where the inhabitants were weaker or something. Okay. So why did I just say all that? Because it's been a long time since we did the first chap- chapter, so I want to review that first chapter. But that sets up the book. The book basically is set up with the Jewish people have not conquered the Goim, and now it's going to be a, a huge mix of Goim and Jewish people, and the tribes are also not united. That's a theme we keep harping on. The tribes aren't united here, which is going to cause a lot of the issues. The last thing is that I didn't mention in the previous Shurim is that the city Luz, Bet El slash Luz, there's a lot of Midrashic, interesting Midrashim about it. One opinion says it means hazelnut tree because the entrance to the city was through a hazelnut tree, which is an interesting thing on its own. They hollowed, hollowed out in a hazelnut tree and then you would open up the door to the tree, you'd go into the tree, and then you would find your way into the city, maybe underground or something, I don't know. So that's one Midrash. Another Midrash says that the city Luz was a place where there was no Malach Mavet. There was no angel of death. And that the elders of the city 
they would just linger there forever. And whenever they really got sick of life, they would just exit the city and drop dead. Because if they were in the city, there was no angel of death. What that means, I have no idea. But it's, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to have in the back of your mind that there is such a Midrash. Because then as you come across a city, lose slash Betel, you may start to find hints as to what this Midrash could mean. Um, the, the place where Yaakov first rested his head when he was running away from Esav was Betel. And he built a Mizbeach there, if that means anything. I don't know if that means anything. Okay, so now we're on chapter 2 of Sefer Shofetim. And this book is going to go... Um, so, so it's going to open with the criticism of the Jewish people for not conquering the, the tribe, the, the, the Goyim. Okay? It's going to open up with criticism of the Jewish people. And then the chapter is going to trace what then becomes the running theme of the entire book. And basically the running theme is that the Jewish people, they fall into idolatry. And then God gets angry at them, so he brings upon them an enemy force, like one of the goyim that were there. Once the Jewish people suffer at the hands of his enemy force, they turn back to God. They turn back to God. God brings them deliverance through a shofet, which is the name of the book. A shofet would be like a leader of a specific tribe. Okay? And then, throughout the life of the shofet, they would be good. But then, once the shofet died, they would deteriorate again, and the process would start again. Now, what's confusing about the book, and, and, and that's what chapter 2 is going to be. Chapter 2 is going to be just broad guidelines as to, of what the rest of the book is going to look like. But what's confusing about it is that all of these things are happening in different tribes. Simultaneously. It could even be simultaneously. That's the problem. Meaning they're laid out in what, in what you would assume is a chronological order, but it's not necessarily chronological. Meaning it's not like one thing happened after the next. It could be that a lot of these things are happening simultaneously because... We're, seeing in, we're looking into the intrigue within a specific tribe. Now what happens in Dan may, not, may be happening simultaneously to the suffering of Naphtali, right? So as we look at these different tribes, it's hard, it's hard to build a picture of the timeline. Um, another thing that the book clearly does is that it shows a deterioration in the people over time. So the first few tribes... That, sorry, the first few Shofetim are above reproach. They're amazing Sadiqim, Sadiqot, actually. They're great, righteous men and women. By the end of it, the character of these Shofetim are not as perfect. Like Shimshon. He's at, comes at the end of the book. Pretty flawed character. Right? Yiftach is another Shofet. Comes at the middle of the book. He's a pretty flawed character. Um, the story, the book is going to end with Am Yisrael kind of deteriorating into just a terrible, terrible people with a big problem with the, um, with the tribe of Binyamin, that the tribe of Binyamin, they're basically some low-life people in the tribe of Binyamin who rape a woman in public. And then, and then there are all these stories that show that Am Yisrael really, really deteriorated. So besides the fact that it's already hard to follow chronologically what's happening in the book, it's also hard because the book is clearly trying to show you a, a devolution, like a deterioration, right? And because it's trying to show you deterioration, it's not exactly clear that the book is aiming for chronological orderliness. Does that make any sense? Uh, Maybe the, bo- the book is trying to... The book is trying... 
the book is trying to go in and show you a deterioration. In depth, one by one, but it doesn't have to be this happened before. Yeah, that. exactly. And not only that, it's also there's another theme in the book of showing the deterioration of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So it could be that it played around with the timings a little bit just to show that the ter- deterioration was happening. Meaning at the end, we're going to have the story of Pilegesh Begiv'ah, which is one of the worst stories in Jewish history where the tribe of Binyamin raped a, a woman uh, and killed her. Okay? And they were, were seemingly okay with it. So, so that resembles the behavior of Sodom and Amorah. And that's like the worst B'nai Israel are going to get. So the, the, when Shemuel and Avi was writing this book, he wanted to make sure that came at the end of the book because he wants to show deterioration. Now, could it be that that story actually happened right before uh, Shimshon? Maybe. We don't know. Okay, so there are all these difficulties. Uh, the span of time of the entire book, I think it's around 400 years. Wow. Because um, David and Shlomo are going to build, Shlomo is going to build the first Beit HaMikdash. And that happened about the year 850 BCE. And we entered, the Israel, in, entered Israel around 1200 BCE. So Yoshua was only the whole book of Yoshua was only like a fourteen year period, which leaves us with about four hundred years of gap from Yoshua's death until David and Shlomo build the Beit Hamikdash. Mm-hmm. So this whole book is taking place over the course of about three hundred fifty to four hundred years. Okay, chapter two. An angel or messenger of God goes up from Gilgal to Bochim. Where what was Gilgal? That was the original place that they crossed the Jordan River. Wow, good, exactly. Gilgal was the first place where they crossed the Jordan River, where they encamped. Okay? So the angel comes from Gilgal to a place called Bochim. Bochim means the crying place. And we're going to see why it was called crying. The angel, the representative of God, said to them, I took you out of Egypt and I brought you to the land that I promised your forefathers and I said I will never nullify my, my covenant with, your, with, with you forever. So long as just do not make a covenant with these, uh, with these peoples. Right, so I said I, I told you that I will bring you into the land so long as you don't make a covenant with these people. Destroy their altars. And he did not listen to my voice. What is this that you did? You haven't conquered anybody. You made, you made covenants with all of them. So then I said, I will not chase them away from you. And they will be for you as thorns in your sides. And their gods will become stumbling blocks for you. Meaning now that you decide to keep them. So I'm not going to chase them out for you. And now their gods are going to become stumbling blocks for you. When the angel of God said these things, when the angel said this, all the people, the people raised up their voices and they started crying. Now, why do you think the place was called crying? Because that's where they cried. But this was this an assembly of the leaders of the tribes, or was this he went individually to each tribe? Because it sounds like they were all gathered. Good question. That wouldn't seem to make sense. That's a good question. Are they gathered at this point? There must have been some leaders of the tribe here that would relay the message. 
Okay. So the people cried. They called that place Bochim. And they did sacrifices. They brought offerings to God over there. I thought they can't do that. Good question. Are they not allowed to do that? Are they in... Are they, um, they should be in Camp Tachigo right now. Are they? That's what I'm asking. Well, they went from Gilgal, which... Um, was their first stop to Shiloh. Yeah. Now, the, the, the Mishkan the remains this... in Shiloh for a long time, remains there for a few hundred years. And that last we checked, we were there. But is that, so... It's a very good question. The only, is Shiloh like Washington, D.C. for the U.S.? Where At the time, probably, yeah. Okay. Because then, these things might interconnect and make sense. We have representatives live there, even though they're not part of that specific tribe or... Right. Um, nobody asks your question, by the way, that how are they allowed to bring a korban in Bochim if it was not Shiloh? That is a phenomenal question. Could be a small Good question. part of Shiloh. I'm going to look into... Okay. Could Bochim be another name for an area next to... Was it next to Shiloh, maybe? Okay, I don't know. Yoshua sent out. Yoshua had sent out the people. Now it's going to the history. Okay, Yoshua had sent out the people, and he sent them to their territories to conquer their respective territories. The Jewish people served God in the times of Yoshua and in the times of the elders who lived. In Yoshua's time, the people who saw the wonders that God did to the Jewish people. And Yoshua died when he was 110. They buried him in the area of his territory in Timnath Cheres, which there was Timnath Serah. Okay, but it's, a, it's a same word, the same, same place, different wording. Uh, in the mountain of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. That whole generation were taken up to their forefathers. And after that generation died, another generation came that were not aware of the workings of God and the miracles of God and to the wonders He did for the Jewish people. And then, once that generation came, when the generation after Yoshua came, that were not aware of the miracles of God and they were not as motivated and devoted to the service of God, then they started doing bad. So I'll finish with these last three psukim. The Jewish people did what was evil in the eyes of God. And they worshipped the Baal. Uh, Baal is going to be one of like the major Avodazaraz that we're going to see. They, they uh, uh, forsook God, God of their forefathers. We took them out of Egypt. They went after other gods. Other gods that were from the other nations around them. They bowed to these gods and they angered God. They forsook God and they would worship Baal and Ashtarot. God would get angry at Israel and he would give them the hands of tormentors or plunderers. And they would plunder them. 
And they would sell them, and God sold them into the hands of their, of their enemies around. And they would no longer be able to fight against their, their enemies. Well, let me just see what it says. Last pasuk. Anything that they would do, God's hand would be out for them for the bad. As God had told them, and as God had promised them, and it, would, and it was very difficult for them, they had become very distressed. So that was um, the first half of the process, right? They would sin, and then God would sell them to their enemies who would plunder them. Mm. And it would be very distressing for them. Now tomorrow, as Hashem, we're going to continue with uh, what then God would do after this happened. So, quite a, what if, and God sold them? Usually when you use the word sell, there's some sort of transaction. Um, I, you know, I, I think it comes from this. The um, part of winning war would often come with, with slave, with a lot of slave trade, right? People would take people into bondage. Mm-hmm. And and then when it, when it uses the phrase the phrasing of and God sold them to their enemies, it's almost like it's almost uh, it's demeaning to the people that are being sold as if they're like chattel, you know, they're like uh, they're like they're like slaves who were sold to their enemies, prisoners prisoners of war, expendable. I think the purpose of that of that phrasing is. T- to show how expendable the Jewish people became. They became like slaves who could be sold, you know. Baruch Amen, amen.